I feel that people only care about things that they know and understand. So if I can take people diving and I can make them love diving, hopefully maybe that will have some sort of an impact that will make them change their personal habits that are maybe more environmentally friendly so we can help protect the ocean and the entire earth environment overall. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. We'll keep it short and sweet today. Uh, This is a throwback from a couple years ago when we're talking to Brandy Mueller about literally exploring the spot in the Marshall Islands where 150 World War II planes were just dumped into the ocean. And uh, very few people get to dive here. And Brandy got, you know, was was lucky enough to go dive here and explore these planes and kind of the environments that have grown around them, kind of how they've deteriorated down there or how they haven't in a lot of ways, but a really unique opportunity and definitely a unique episode for us. So uh, Brandy's awesome. Great conversation. This was one of my early, early episodes. So uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm better now. So I'm listening to it a little bit and thinking, oh man, I'm, gl- I'm glad I've done a little bit better at times. Maybe not. But uh, anyway, hope you enjoy and uh, continue sharing the show, leaving reviews, um, telling folks about it and sending messages to us. All of that is appreciated. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. So uh, where are you uh, where are you coming from today? Well, I'm currently in Wisconsin, which is where my parents live. So I just had Thanksgiving with them. But um, I take off tomorrow to go to Indonesia for six weeks. So just here briefly before I go back to diving. Tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Dang. So for six weeks. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I'm starting off. I get to host a um, an underwater photography workshop in Lemba, which is in North Sulawesi in Indonesia at Lumber Resorts. Fabulous place. Um, I'm pretty excited. That is so, so do you do that a lot now? Do you travel around doing those classes and, and, and teaching? Yeah, I'm trying to teach more underwater photography. I, I really enjoy it. Um, I have a yearly event in Roatan that we do, um, but this is the first time I'm doing Lemba. Wow, that is incredible. So where, where do people come from to, to, to attend the classes? Pretty much all over the world, actually. Um, That's really cool. So, yeah, so we're, we're going to talk specifically about a project that you started um, and you're releasing a book about it. But, but why don't you tell us about, you know, how did, how did you get into diving? Um, what is it that you love about it? And you know, where did that passion start for you? Oh, well, I love everything about it. And the passion started when I was really young. I um, I grew up in Wisconsin, but I had relatives who lived in Florida and Hawaii. So I grew up visiting those places and knowing that there were these amazing water and beach places that you could go to. So I always wanted to go to them. And um, I always wanted to be a, a marine biologist and go underwater and things like that. So you, you went with your family growing up to Florida and Hawaii and... Uh... From there, what what kind of steps did you take to to keep pursuing it? I became a diver when I was 15. I was a foreign exchange student to New Zealand, and my host family were divers. So they sort of, I don't know, helped me get into it. And then um, I went to college in Florida, 
and continued to dive while I was there. So what's a, you know, I'm from Florida and I honestly haven't, I'm not a diver. I have family that, that, that do that. And, but I've scuba dived a lot, not scuba. I'm sorry. I've snorkeled a lot and kayak a lot, but, uh, how's the diving in Florida? It's excellent. I want to take you diving now. Can I teach you? <laughs> Absolutely. Abs- I mean, you know, you, when you grow up somewhere, you don't necessarily like take advantage of everything around you just because it's familiar. But now that I've moved away and pursued my own passions, going back, it's like, oh my gosh, there's this whole like other world to explore right in my backyard that I never knew was there. Yeah. Florida's got tons of stuff. They've got the freshwater like cavern systems that are really amazing as well as great ocean diving and wrecks and yeah, you need to do it. I, yeah. I just haven't been, I haven't spent very much time there since then. Um, well, that's pretty cool. So, so from Florida, uh, you, you studied, I think I read marine biology at the university of Tampa and just continued falling in love with it. How, how have you built your career from there? What did you do? What, what position did you take or where'd you go? Um, after I finished college, so in college, I went through and got my dive master. So I did like sort of my advanced training um, and became a dive master right before I graduated. And I, I found out about a job in the Caribbean that required me to be an instructor. And I really wanted the job. So I I know I basically I, I became an instructor. I had a couple of months and the deal was if you become an instructor, you can have this job. So I ended up in Key Largo um, taking my instructor examination in the class and everything. And um, yeah, my next stop was the British Virgin Islands for a summer to teach diving there. And then I kind of decided that I liked the whole boat thing. So I got a job on liveaboard dive boats. What do you do with those boats? Do you just take people on those as well, like a tour or something? Yeah, a lot of them do sort of week-long trips. So divers will come on the boat. They'll live on the boat. You can dive up to five times a day. You have all your meals on the boat. Um, and the boat just kind of goes around to different dive sites throughout the week. So you get to sort of see a big area of diving. That's amazing. So you'd guide these people. And I'm sure I'm sure that was incredibly rewarding, watching these people come up out of the water or be there with them and see like the expressions on their face of what they just witnessed. Yeah, it's really fun to have a job that makes other people happy. I think that that's really rewarding in itself. You know, you're not in an office all day kind of being sad. It's like even if you're having a bad day at work when you're working on a boat, it can't be, you know, that bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an awesome place. The ocean, the water, it's so unknown to us. Like, you know that better than anyone. It is like probably like being an astronaut in a way. Just your everything you do and explore is is could potentially be something that's never been seen before, um, and it's a totally different experience than than us uh, air breathers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really incredible, and it's it's just so amazing. The more time you spend underwater, the more things you see. And even if they are things that have been seen before, they're seen so rarely. And it's it's just incredible to be in this like different sort of world and among different things. It, it becomes obsessive very easily. I can imagine because uh, it, there's a totally different set. I mean, I'm just talking from ignorance. So you tell me. It seems like it, it, it just separates... Uh, certain senses like you know you're not hearing things you're not um it's almost like putting yourself in this yeah in this mode in this zone 
to where you can you're only uh, capable of certain movements and certain um, functions, and, it, and it's therapeutic in a way. I would imagine it is. It's very therapeutic. Yeah, it's interesting you saying that. Like it's it's very much like you go sort of into something, and then yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, you put on um, a suit, you put on a mask. <laughs> it's like a, it's like an astronaut. You're you're almost you're sort of weightless like it's sorry my phone just buzzed but it's probably just incredible yeah it it is it's really amazing in it definitely because you can't talk and although it is sometimes noisy down there like the fish make noise like you can hear sort of the grinding of teeth of parrotfish and like other sounds but it's it's just very different and it's it's pretty slow going most of the time as well. So you have like a lot of time to sort of just take in what's around you and like observe. And it's it's interesting. You're going into like someone else's world or something else's world. And to be able to see that, it's it's just always amazing. So I, I imagine it uh, it doesn't get old for you then. Not for me. <laughs> you know, we, we talked to a lot of people that are just experts at their craft, of course, and over time, their relationship with their craft changes. Um, not not worse, it gets better. It gets It's like the love deepens. And it definitely seems to me that this is something that you're probably going to carry with you for the remainder of your life if you can. Definitely. I, I feel like I start to get crabby if I haven't been underwater in a certain amount of time. It's really great to like, it's kind of uncomfortable at first, like when you first learn. And I was very lucky because I learned so young that it's almost I don't, re- I don't really remember what it felt like to not know how to dive, but I know that like you just get more and more comfortable with it and then it's, it's better and it's easier and you can spend more time observing and taking things in instead of sort of worrying what's going on. So can I, can I ask you this, uh, for someone that's never, uh, is it dove or dived? <laughs> what do you guys say? <laughs> well, I think it's properly it's dived, but people say dove as well. Right, so you can get okay. away with either. All right, I, I'll do my best to not sound like an idiot. So, uh, so I, for someone who's never dived, it it seems like there is potential, uh, obviously, for danger with certain creatures. Have you ever had an experience that that spooked you and made you maybe rethink uh, this passion of yours, or maybe take different precautions? Creature wise. No. I mean, okay. honestly, we're big and scary to marine life, just like we perceive some things to be big and scary. But mm. we're we're also very loud with all the bubbles and stuff. So I know like sharks always get the bad rap, but sharks are generally very shy and swim away from us because we're these big, loud, scary things that they don't know what they are either. Um, there are some things like you don't want to touch certain things and whatnot, but really you shouldn't touch anything underwater because you could harm it probably more likely than it harming you, but there are things that sting and stuff like that, but not very often. Okay. So you've never had an experience where you were maybe trapped or, or equipment was failing and you were in a a state of panic. I'm going to say no. I mean, I have had things malfunction and whatnot, but in the training, you learn how to deal with things like that. And you start off at like a recreational level where the dives you do are fairly easy and the stuff that could go wrong is fairly minor and you learn how to deal with that. And as you advance into like technical diving, the same thing, you do the training where you learn more of what could go wrong in these more advanced situations and you learn how to deal with it. And in the training, you do a lot of practicing of things going wrong. So they'll like, I don't know, pretend that you're 
tank valve burst and you have to turn it off and switch to an alternate. And you sort of, you learn how to do that. And then hopefully in real life, you just follow your training and you're just fine. Um, and with your guiding, do you, uh, do you often have to put out fires for people or are people pretty good? You, you're do, you do a good job of preparing them. Mm, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> generally, <laughs> generally people are quite good. I mean, stuff does happen. And I think most guides would agree with me that sometimes things have gone wrong and people don't even notice that things are gone wrong. So hopefully we can sort of fix the situation before it becomes a situation and then back on the boat, sort of talk about what went wrong and try to prevent it in the future. Um, but again, it's diving is generally very safe, especially at the recreational level. Like the, the things that could go wrong, you've got sort of backups, you dive with a buddy. So if something happens, then your buddy takes care of you or your dive guide who or whoever. Um, so it's really, it's, it's not dangerous. I don't, I, I yeah, I don't want to make the, I try to stay away from the like, oh, it's dangerous perspective and go with the like, it's <laughs> easy and anyone can do it type thing. That doesn't make for very exciting stuff, though. So what do you want me <laughs> to do? Oh, no, do? no, I, I, it's fine. I, I I just love hearing the honest truth. I wanted to break down what what is it that most people fear and what is it most people have concern for when they when you tell them what you do and then how what's your what's your mindset to, to break down that stigma or that stereotype? And I'm just hearing from you. I figured it wasn't dangerous, but I know when I talk to people about, um, a lot of the disciplines that we talk about on the show, they, they mention, Oh, that sounds very dangerous, but it's like, well, when you know the people, it's a slow climb to, to their level of expertise and they're, and they're smart. They don't put themselves in dangerous positions. And, uh, I, I send people backpacking all the time. And one of the biggest questions I have is, am I going to get eaten by a grizzly bear or I will, will be attacked by a bear, which is like the last thing you ever have to worry about. And yeah. it's just sensational. And I guarantee it's very similar with you and people asking you about sharks. Exactly. It's probably exactly Completely. the same. It's like, yeah, they're out there. Yeah. They're there. You might see some, but God, you, it's like, literally you're going to have a, you have a way better chance of dying driving here then you will ever, <laughs> ever get attacked by a bear. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. And same, absolutely the same thing with the sharks. And if anything, we want to see more sharks. Like I want them to get closer so I can take better photos of them. Like yeah. we, I mean, sometimes we bait for the sharks to come in <laughs> so they get closer. Wow. That is so crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's different than the out in the woods. We don't do that with bears, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Now I've been on a couple of boats and we've chummed up some uh, sharks before. That was really impressive. Um, so, so when you take people, what, what do you want them to walk away with? What kind of, uh, what are you looking to, is it the empowerment? Is it the, like the connection with nature? What are you, what's your message and mission with them? Each and every person that goes with you. Well, I feel like I have two messages. And the main one is sort of the ocean conservation, like the, the oceans are in trouble. We have all sorts of environmental concerns. And I feel that people only care about things that they know and understand. So if I can take people diving and I can make them love diving, hopefully maybe that will have some sort of an impact that will make them change their personal habits that are maybe more environmentally friendly so we can help protect the ocean and the entire earth environment overall. Um, sort of my second message is that I'm, I'm really into the world where or the, I'm really into the history underwater 
particularly World War II wrecks and things like that. Like I, I really love that we can go dive something that's 75 years old that has the story behind it of like of war and of of just this human connection um, that you can go and visit this like underwater museum. I think that's really incredible. And I like to share those stories as well. With, with your first mission, do you actually show people or, or how do you express like uh, something tangible that they can relate saying, yeah, our oceans are at risk. Is, is that the, the, like the airplanes that are at the bottom of the ocean? Is that evidence of um, maybe, I don't know, pollution in the ocean or something? Or are those two separate things for you? So that's usually not the message I'm talking about when I show the airplanes, but that is an important and good message that in in the 1940s, we did dump all of this garbage into the ocean. And not just where the airplane graveyard is, but there there are World War II dump sites sort of all over the Pacific. There's There's one in Vanuatu that they call Million Dollar Point that they just shoved all sorts of building equipment and just stuff off a pier because um, they they were done with it. And <laughs> I guess that's what you did in the 40s. And now we know better. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm very happy that the airplanes are underwater because they're beautiful and amazing to dive. But environmentally, that was probably not a good decision. And it's not something that we do anymore, or at least not something we're supposed to do anymore. And yeah, you're, you're, you're alluding to it. And uh, it's something we were kind of skirting around. But you did this really incredible uh looking project where you basically dived to see all these uh remains of world war ii planes um yeah you just mentioned a little bit about it. why don't you tell us like where where did that idea come from and, and what did that project look like and what has it been like well so in Kwajalein Atoll in the Marshall Islands, at the end of the war, they dumped about 150 American World War II airplanes at the end of the war. They pretty much just didn't need them anymore. The war was over. They were heavy and they would take up space to transport back to the U.S. Um, and they pretty much just wanted to get the troops home like it was over. So um, these planes, they're, they're in perfect condition. They weren't shot down. They didn't crash there. They were literally loaded up on a barge and thrown into the water. And I happen to be, um, I happen to be living in Kwajalein Atoll. There's a U.S. Army base there, and I was working as a civilian contractor as a boat captain. So I got to go diving on them just for fun. Um, and it sort of became like they're so amazing to dive. I just wanted to dive like all of them. So me and my friends would go out and dive one one day, and then go dive another one the other day, and then we would just jump in the water and swim in one direction and see how many we could find. Um, so I just, I took lots of photos of them and then it sort of came up to make a book about it. How many planes were there? They estimate there's about 150. Um, I actually haven't gone through my photos and counted them all. That would be an interesting, <laughs> interesting yeah. project, but they're, they're spread over sort of a two square mile area. So there's, I definitely haven't seen them all. And I don't know if anyone has seen every single one of them, um, but there's, there's a lot of them I did get to see and take photos of. So, so was it a thing to go see before this project or did you, are you kind of leading that? No, it was definitely a thing, but it's the Marshall Islands is in, literally in the middle of the Pacific mm. and it's, it's not very easy to get to. And you can't go to the army base unless you're invited or you work there. Basically it's, there's no commercial dive operations. No one who doesn't have sort of business there can just show up and go and dive there. 
Um, there are some private, like if you have a private boat, you could go and dive them, but then you need your own compressor for tanks and things like that. But the people who've lived and worked on Kwajalein have known about them since they were dumped in the ocean, basically. <laughs> so, um, wow. yeah, not a new thing, just a not often visited thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And I mean, do they, what does it look like when you, you're getting down? Does it look like they were just all, are they all upside down in random directions or is it kind of nicely settled in the bottom? Like they're parked there. They're all different. There are some that are in the perfect, like, look like they could take off at any moment position. Um, a lot of them are nose down, which are also probably my favorite to photograph. They just, they just look really cool. Wow, they just <laughs> landed nose down. That is crazy. And so they're sticking up in the air. Yeah. Or and then, the water. Some... <laughs> I mean, not the air. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> yeah. And then some of them are upside down as well. So they're all, all kind of scattered. So what kind of condition are they after 75 years? They, they, they look pretty rough. No, they're still in pretty incredible condition. Like it's pretty amazing. Um, and they've got coral and stuff growing on them too, but not a ton. But I mean, there's, we see sharks and turtles and there's fish swarming around them. So it's, it's very surreal almost like for whatever reason, shipwrecks to me seem normal underwater. Like you kind of expect, you know, oh, it's a ship. It's probably eventually going to end up underwater, but the airplanes just, they seem so weird to be <laughs> underwater. No kidding. Yeah, it, it is. I actually just was looking up pictures while you're talking. This is absolutely stunning. And I was going to ask you, what kind of feelings did that evoke as you got closer to them? It was it just bizarre, like you were just saying, compared to ships? Yeah, it, it's, again, like very surreal and bizarre and just also very exciting. Um a lot of the planes are also sort of in the the hundred foot range. Some are a little bit deeper, some are a little bit shallower. But there's no there's no ability to get nitrox up there, which is like a higher O2 blend. Um, so you're diving on air, and with air, you only have about 18 minutes before you go into deco, which as a recreational diver on a recreational profile, you don't want to do. So you pretty much only have like 20 minutes to go down and see these planes before you have to come back up again. Um, so oh, wow. I, I, I always had this feeling of like, I need more time and like swim faster and I want to see more. Um, yeah, it's very cool. So, so why this, why did you want to do this specifically? What was the inspiration? I guess. I don't know. I just find them so fascinating that I was, I guess, hoping that other people would find them fascinating as well. They're in such a remote location and it's so hard to get to that. I think, um, I want to show people just because a lot of people can't see them how close did you get to take some of these pictures? Were you able to see in like some of the cockpits? Yeah, totally. You can get right up to them. Wow. You can touch them if you want. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but you can. Interesting. Did you see any personal items down there? Like some eyeglasses or something maybe in left in one of the seats? You know, not so much in these. And I think again, just because they were sort of like packed up and thrown overboard. So there wow. wouldn't have been any like personal stuff left, but, um, also in Kwajalein, there's there's some ships and some planes that went down during the war from wartime, um, and you can find stuff like that on those, which is pretty incredible. So yeah, what what what's one of the strangest things you've ever found while diving? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, not in Kwajalein, but in Truk Lagoon, which is a couple islands over. There's a lot of Japanese World War II wrecks that were sank, and a lot of them still have light bulbs in them that are still intact. Oh, and man. 
for whatever reason, whenever I come across like an intact light bulb that's 75 years old and isn't a ship that was, you know, torpedoed and sank, it just blows my mind that the light bulb is still intact. Because I'm pretty sure I break light bulbs just getting them home from the store (laughs) in a bag. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's funny you mentioned light bulbs in particular. We interviewed a guy a few months ago, um, actually about a year ago now, but we replayed his episode recently where he, uh, he was stranded out at sea for 75 days in a raft um, after his boat sank. And he said one of the things that he saw the most um, just bobbing around in the ocean were light bulbs. Something you think that's so fragile and so easy to break here. It, it, I mean, I'll break anything in my hands if it's breakable <laughs> within a week. Me too. And my, my wife just bought a butter dish that's like porcelain. And I'm like, okay, this thing's going to break. I'm going to break this at some point. Like it's just a given. Everything I have has to be plastic or metal. And he said that there were just light bulbs floating with, with, with things growing on them, um, with fish around them. Just, it was bizarre. And the fact that you mentioned light bulbs again, that is shows just how delicate the ocean can be on, on, on something. It's kind of funny that you you mentioned that he said they float because they do float, which is also fascinating. So like in the shipwrecks, if they're like screwed into like a holder, they'll be in place like they're supposed to be. But in other places, if they had like spare light bulbs around, they floated up to whatever the ceiling is um, in that place, which is also really weird to find. No like, way. Light bulbs if they're up on in... like a wire hanging down, they're going to be floating on the ceiling if they didn't. Exactly. Break. That is crazy. Yeah super crazy (laughs) is there anything else like that that you notice that's like oh this is normal down here but for us would just be so strange to think about gosh there's there's so much that the wrecks of truck truck protected them really well they've made it illegal for people to take artifacts off very early on Mm. so we still find all sorts of things like sometimes you can find uniform material that's been like buried under the silt that's still i mean it's still like intact uniform Yeah, exactly. And then once, if it gets out of the silt, then it will sort of disintegrate over time. Also books, we'll find books that you can still page through them. And of course, once you like open the book, then the pages will disintegrate sort of one by one. But it's, it blows my mind that someone will pull up this book that's, you know, got kanji writing on it. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. Sort of the, the human stuff, like the, the uniform material and things like that sort of creeps me out. We find the rubber uh, soles of shoes quite often because those have held up over the years uh, on water. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, it just kind of, I don't know, it gives me goosebumps on the back of the neck. It's like, oh, like people were here and this this was a real horrible thing that happened. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty easily creeped out. Um, like I can't go into haunted houses or anything. And I'm looking through some of these pictures and it looks like you've explored some ships as well. Uh yeah, I don't know if I could do that, to be honest. I think I would be so afraid around every doorway, around every corner, that something would be lurking. And I'm sure there is. I mean, fish, there's got to be some animals that have, you know, made that home over time. Yeah, there's definitely fish. And so you also have to picture like you're at maybe 100 feet or so and you're, you know, you're breathing from a tank on your back and going inside the ships, like you're going into these like pitch black areas. And, oh, like, gosh, that gives me the chills. Oh, but it's amazing. <laughs> I bet, I know. I, I agree. I mean, it doesn't turn me off. It's just like, what a what a rush, you know? Yeah. I, I think we do it for the, the scare adrenaline. 
thing a little bit maybe. That's awesome. That is so crazy. And especially if things are uh, tilted or tipped over, everything's just got to feel uh, very strange. You know what I mean? If the ground is not the ground. Yes. Um, So one of my favorite shipwrecks is actually, it's kind of on an angle. So it's almost completely on its side, but then tilted a little bit. And it just, it always makes me feel like I'm in a fun house because you're like swimming through it and like, you can see where your bubbles go, which give you a good perspective of like what's up. But then like, you're not really going up or down. You're kind of like going sideways, but up or down. And it, it definitely it messes with your head. I ab- Yeah, I, I totally believe it. That is so crazy. So with the book, w- what about the experience did you write about in the book? So um, first of all, I had a co-author named Alan Axelrod, and he helped a lot with the historical perspective. Um, So I talk about sort of what it's like to dive the airplanes. And then he sort of helped me out with discussing Kwajalein during the war and sort of what was going on in the Pacific Theater. And then also what these different airplane types did in the Pacific Theater of World War II. So there's seven different types of airplanes in the airplane graveyard. um, And we sort of go, it's almost chapter by chapter per airplane that talks about what that plane did. Um, and sort of what it was known for and all the the specs of the airplane. And then I also sort of add the, you know, I'm going to take you on a dive on this airplane in the book. I also talk about living in Kwajalein, which is a really interesting and unique, unique place. Um, and just sort of my time as a civilian contractor on the island. Um, and then sort of like how a little bit how I got into diving and diving throughout the years and sort of what brought me there. Where in the world? Where is that? Like Kwajalein? Is that what you're saying? I've actually never even heard of that. Yeah, nobody's heard of it. Nobody can spell it either. Um, yeah, spell so it for us. It's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type it in right now. It's K-W-A-J-A-L-E-I-N. <laughs> yep, I was just going to start with a Q. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> We call cool. it Quaj for short. Quaj, all right. The, the old Quaj. Okay, wow, it's like a, a J-shaped island. Yeah, well, they say it's actually, they say it's shaped like a boomerang because once you go there, you always keep going back. <laughs> oh, man, is it true? Um, yeah, for me, it has been so far. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I can't stay away. So the, the U.S. Army leases some of the islands, and it's one of the world's largest lagoons. So it's, it's all, it's, it's sort of like, it's a coral atoll. Um, so the islands are all very sort of low-lying. And then the inside is, it's not very deep. It's only... At max, maybe 180 or 190 feet, and then also shallower points. So up at the north end of the island is where all these airplanes were dumped. Um, but during World War II, there was there ships that were sank up in the north area and then also down in the south area. So we dive those as well, and they're also very incredible. Um, Interesting. So why do you think they were dumped there and not in deeper oceans, maybe outside of the atoll? I actually don't know, but I'm thankful to whoever decided to put them in the lagoon ah. because the uh, the ocean side drops off to several thousand feet very quickly. So if they were dumped on the ocean side, we wouldn't be able to get them unless maybe you're in a submarine. Hmm. Now, is there anything that they did dump out there that maybe there were records kept of it? Um, you know, that's a good question. I've I've heard that there are a couple airplanes that they dumped down at the south end ocean side. Um. Also, so there was the Bikini Atoll nuclear testing that happened a few years later. And I think that some of the ships were hauled back from Bikini to Kwajalein where they studied them. And they dumped some of those oceanside. You know, that could be wrong information, though, maybe. (laughs) 
shouldn't include that. Well, let me ask you this: what what do, what do you think about their decision to do that? Yeah, like you know, considering the time, maybe the state of the world, and the location, do you think it was a good decision? Oh man, I don't know. I'm that's that's above my pay grade, right? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know. I know you're happy about the decision because it's a really cool opportunity. But you, you know, when you zoom out from the map, it's like, wow, they are in the middle of nowhere. And you know, I, I, I could see the the um, logic behind. You know, it's a couple. You know, it's a handful of planes. Um, there's an endless, seemingly amount of ocean out here. Why don't we just dump them? They're going to create an environment for fish and coral. Uh, but we are in an age of recycling now. Why didn't you think they were recycled for anything? Was it just, just too think, expensive at the time? Yeah, I think it was just too expensive to bring them back to like, say the States and the war was over. And I think it was just, they, they wanted to get the troops home more than worry about stuff like that, perhaps. Um, so I think it was, it was just much easier. And they, they were also kind of outdated planes at that point. And we were hoping that there weren't going to be any more wars, so they weren't going to be needed anymore. So yeah. I think it was sort of out of sight, out of mind. And unfortunately, I don't really think that they thought at that point in time, like, oh, we'll do this to help like improve the marine environment by making an artificial reef. But luckily, they did kind of do that. So at least there is some positive there. Also, the, the, planes, the planes were cleaned up to some extent before they were dumped, which is the same thing that we do now with artificial wrecks like sometimes we clean up old ships and we dump them purpose you know, like remove remove chemicals remove fuel or anything that would be harmful to the ocean exactly and that's that's a popular practice now to try to encourage marine life um, to grow so i guess I, I don't feel like it was that bad and also in that time we just didn't think about things like that so yeah and you know at the we were pulverizing the earth with 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 uh, artillery um, pretty heavily well, I, during that time. So <laughs> I think this was seen as not, not, not too drastic. Even worse, just a few years later, we did all of our nuclear testing in the same sort of country of islands at Bikini Atoll. So we, we were not being super environmentally friendly to this location. <laughs> wow, that is just so bizarre. So, I mean, yeah, it's just a crazy time to be in the world. Um, so do, do you think you'll ever... Uh, I know it's difficult to get to. Do you think you ever see the possibility of taking people out there? Ooh, I don't, it's, it's so hard just because the logistics right now are not very good. But there's um, there's a couple liveaboards that go in that area. So it is possible. Um, and I definitely, I mean, I'm sure at some point I will go back to Kwajalein. I was actually there just a couple of months ago visiting again. So I'm sure I'll go back to visit again and hopefully get to dive the planes more. That's awesome. Do you ever uh, do you ever sit in the in the cockpit? <laughs> and just All pretend? right. So <laughs> I don't, and a lot of people do, and I feel like so you've got this big tank on and stuff, and you get into these very delicate, like in my mind, sort of historically significant planes, and you're bound to like break stuff up. So I get I get really mad when people try to sit in the planes, but okay. it makes people really happy, and they do it. So I'd prefer they didn't, but it's okay if they do, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it is trash in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's that. No, Makes that, for a great selfie. Yeah, that unfortunately, that's uh, that's a pretty big motivator in today's world. That's one heck of a selfie. Um, 
yeah, you're pretty much not going to be beat by anybody with that one unless they're on the moon. Uh, <laughs> so is there any other places like this that you know of that maybe, maybe, maybe well-known, maybe not that you just have to get to in your uh, diving career? Uh, well, I just finally got to go dive Bikini Atoll, which I was, I was mentioning earlier where the nuclear testing was, Yeah. which, uh, so basically we, we sort of set up a target of ships after World War II and then we, we drop nuclear bombs on them to see what would happen. Um, and there's about 10 ships and submarines that are, are in that area and they're, they're a little bit deeper, um, than the airplanes and a little bit deeper than recreational levels. Um, so I got to go there in September for the first time and it had been on my like hopes and dreams list for years. And it was really incredible to go out there. The, uh, the USS Saratoga is out there, which is an aircraft carrier. It's 888 feet long, um, has all kinds of airplanes in it and around it. And it's just this massive, massive ship. Wow. And now that's also in the atoll. So it's not too deep again. Correct. Yeah, it's in it's in another atoll, but still part of the Marshall Islands. So same um, same country, but it's in Bikini Atoll, and that atoll the the seafloor is a little bit deeper. So the um, the seafloor is, I want to say like most of our dives, we're in like the one sixty five range for a good portion of the dive. Um, whereas back in Kwajalein, most of the dives are sort of a hundred to one hundred and ten feet. Wow, so I'm sure you're pretty thankful that they uh, did those experiments in that atoll as well for exploration <laughs> yes. purposes. Again, today. probably not good for the environment, but um, pretty incredible for divers many years later. Yeah, no kidding. I get, did so. Did, did do you think that they did that on purpose to be able to study like the ships underwater, or was that just total chance? Uh, no, I don't think that they did it on purpose, but they um they did study a lot of the ships from the testing and a lot of them they they sort of towed back so Kwajalein actually has one of the ships it's called the Prince Eugen from the bikini testing that they, so they went they took it back to Kwajalein to do testing on it and then it sprang a leak and they were actually trying to tow it to the ocean side to dump it in deep water and it didn't quite make it and now it sits actually the one of the propellers sticks out of the water I've got some images of that in the book as well oh, um, another so phenomenal cool. wreck you can dive, um, but it, the, the bows at, I don't know, maybe 120 feet, but the, the, one of the propellers or two of the propellers stick out. So of the water, so it's on a slope. That is so cool. So what about, uh, is there anything else, um, in other parts of the world that you, uh, that you know of that you want to see? So many, I have a massive bucket list. Wow. So that's, yeah. I mean, are they all as difficult to get to as actually no, most of them are a lot easier to get to. <laughs> All right, so you're getting the hard ones out of the way first, huh? Yeah, exactly. Makes everything so much easier. Man, so I mean, I know I'm, I just jump around a lot, and I apologize. I'll, I'll clean it up when I. When That's I all right. It. But are are you the only person in your family that does this? Um. Well, I'm an only child for one, okay. and I got I got to teach my dad how to dive. I don't know, probably 10, 10 or so years ago. So that was really cool. Wow. Um, very reverse, you know, reverse parenting roles. Where <laughs> I was taking him underwater and I'm like, oh my goodness, stay here. Don't move. Don't go very fast. That's hilarious. So I was going to say, uh, like being in Wisconsin, you, I mean, that's just a totally different world than what you're talking about in these stories and, and where these planes are. Is it, 
is it a trip to come back home and and people ask you like what are you doing now how's it going what was your latest project and you're just like i don't even know where to start yeah it's it's actually really hard to explain it's also like where do you live is the most complicated question <laughs> right <laughs> i don't yeah. really know where i live yeah i mean you could say in the ocean but you know you'd probably <laughs> spend just as much time there i'll get really strange looks <laughs> yeah i'm a mermaid wow <laughs> so w- when does the book come out the book comes out December 4th, but it's available for pre-order already. Okay, perfect. And will the best place to uh, do that be, um, I assume, through Amazon? Yeah, Amazon's got it. So that's probably the best, easiest. I think it's free shipping even, maybe. <laughs> oh, cool. Perfect. Yeah. And so, uh, neat. So, yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to picking up a copy. Will it be available in any stores or mostly through Amazon for now? Um, I don't know yet if it'll be any in any stores. So what's uh what's next for you as far as what what's some projects that you're definitely getting ready to do beyond this? Well, I'm I'm lucky I get to do some some magazine work as well. So I try to get as many assignments as I can to pretty much dive anywhere and either report back on the location or a certain animal to dive with or whatever. Um, so yeah, I try try to do as much of that as possible, and I, I teach some underwater photography workshops. Um, I also lead some dive trips, so if anybody wants to come dive with me, check out my website, and you can come on one of my trips with me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Where do they go to find out more? Um, it's www.brandyunderwater.com, and it's Brandy with an I. Brandy with an I, underwater.com. And then, um, yeah, what what other websites or uh, uh, social medias would you like to post or to plug um, probably Instagram, same. I'm at Brandy Underwater. It's Brandy underscore Underwater on Instagram. Um, also on Facebook, Brandy Underwater. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I'm excited to tell your story and I'm excited to follow you from now on. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah. And is there anything else you'd like to share with people about diving? or? or uh... Well, I guess if if you don't dive, I... I highly recommend it. I think you should check it out and go and take a class. And if you do dive, dive more and come visit me somewhere or just enjoy your dive trip. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks so much. Have a good day. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.